Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stable and Able Podcast. I am your host, one of the hosts, Karen Wickham. And I'm one of the hosts, Brenda Nickel. And we're coming to you from beautiful Bolton, Ontario, Canada. You can't say downtown Bolton, but just Bolton. Bolton. But it's beautiful here. You don't, well, downtown's nice. I've missed you terribly, Kays. Same. I know that you've been just on the rack sick. <laughs> like, just so sick. And, like, I feel so bad for you. When I'd get my daily updates and stuff like that, I thought, is she ever going to get through this COVID thing? I'm so pissed off about getting it. I bet. Mary and I both got it at the same time. Because we had gone three and a half years, and we did everything right. Yeah. Boosters, hand-washing, masks, six feet, all of, like, you. Yes. And you guys have done everything right. And it's like, if you guys get it, I'll be fucking air-punching like nuts. Yeah. I'll be like, where is it? No, no, no. No, but you guys will be good. We'll but- be fine. We'll be fine. We've come in contact <laughs> with the same couple who got it twice. We're in your and house. they were in, in our home. So and we never guys, got it. Maybe yeah. you guys are immune. Oh, but it's know. been terrible. I We thought, I don't know. Like, we kind of thought, oh, well, if we do get it, maybe it won't be that bad. But I think it's because we're older, too. But, man, we got fucking nailed. Yeah, you did. So now, other than, you know, some tiredness and some nausea, uh, you know, that's for me, Mary, tiredness. We're well on our way to uh, <clears throat> getting better. We are just moving forward. Yeah, that's all we can do. I've had a bit of a hard hard week, like I said. I think I did say that earlier. I was going to ask you. Yeah. and um, Check-in time. Check-in time. And yeah, that's kind of been my check-in this week. It's It's been a tough week, I guess, with the, the shit show non-Thanksgiving and uh, just bipolar, um, the manic, the, the depression. So Kay's and uh, Mare or Mimi came over. That's Mary's name now, Mimi. Mimi. Um, <laughs> they came over and I kind of insisted on it because I really needed this lift. And Kay's is gently pushing me uh, through this. And I know I'm going to be happy when when we're done and with the outcome of, of the podcast. So, um, I too am going to, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. But don't diminish it either. Cause I, you have had a history of like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm like, no, you're not. But now that, you know, now you'll let me, cause as soon as I saw you, yeah. I'm like with us, it's in the eyes. Yeah. There is no doubt. It's right there. There's no sparkle. There's no light. There's no, yeah, yeah. So I hope it doesn't come across in what we're discussing today, although it should, considering what the uh, <laughs> subject matter <laughs> what is. What the subject matter is. Case, do you want to take that? Well, I just want to say a thing to that, though. And if it does come across, who gives a fuck? It's yeah, how you're okay. feeling. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, but it's important that we don't try to hide. This is a, a podcast about mental health. And if you're down, you're down. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're not fighting. It doesn't yeah. mean that you're you know, not wanting to do this and not wanting to feel better. Yeah. You're just feeling how you're feeling. Yeah. And I'm happy to share that I'm bummed. Because <laughs> I'm, st- I'm That'll serious. be the title of the episode. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to share that, that I'm, I'm bummed. bummed. There you go. <laughs> Part one. 
Okay, so last episode was, um, we talked about uh, trauma bond. It was mostly directed towards partner relationships. Though, we did state that this could happen in the workplace, with friendships, and family. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to focus in on the family part of it, because the first part, in terms of relationship, it was something that you could relate to because of what you went through in your first marriage. Right. But I also know that you can relate to this from a family point of view as well. Sure. Unfortunately. But your experience with this is much different than my experience in terms of the fam direct family relation. But like you said, that you were the youngest and right. had a different sort of experience than the oldest ones. Absolutely. But one thing that just crossed my mind is that you having to deal with, with your mom. And in reality, I had to deal with her too. Yeah. On a daily basis. Holy shit. You know what? I didn't think about that either. Yeah. Like I had to deal with that on a constant basis. And, oh, um, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we both pretty much dealt with the same amount. Yeah. I would think having to deal with all of those people together, but on different relationship levels. Well, I was great because um, I, I was always there to take care of you. I was there to feed you, clothe you, do all those things. So that was great for her. <laughs> you know, she had a grand old time, but yeah. I, I thought that's what you do. Yeah. And, and you were so young, you couldn't provide for yourself. God, and she passed the buck on to you. Passed the buck on to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know what? <laughs> that is holy shit. The whole room is lit up. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. All the lights just turned on yeah. for that one. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, what an aha moment. I saw you looking off a little bit when I was talking. I mean, we tend, we look at each other a lot when we're talking, and I saw you looking off, and I'm like... Well, it came from, and, and we're going to get to this point, but it came from the trauma bomb with the narcissistic mother, and I'm thinking, and the narcissistic sister. Okay, so we're we're unpacking a lot here. Uh-huh. So what what are we talking about today, Case? So like I, I think I said earlier, I can't remember. We're talking about the trauma bond with a parent and how it affects the child. What we want to do going into the next episode, I know I'm sort of jumping ahead, is that we're going to go into great detail about children being brought up with a narcissistic parent. But we're going to get into the nitty, nitty gritty of, yes. of that narcissist. We're going to really break it down. But I think that we have to talk about how the narcissistic mother primes that child All right. to get to that situation. And your first attachment relationship with your narcissistic mother, you learn that this world is unreliable, that others can't be expected to meet your needs and that you need to meet their needs to be loved. Crazy. It is crazy. You're not really loved, but it's exploitation. That is like a, a punch in the gut thinking about that. These lessons of relationships are very, very difficult to unlearn as well. And that's where Kay's, you come in and, and, and talk to how you are getting set up and you are getting primed. Well... The, the thing that uh, right off the bat is that your relationship starts with the parent the moment you're born and in, in utero, the emotions that a parent feels 
the child's going to feel it. The hormones, the endorphins, all those kind of things like that. And we've talked about generational trauma as well on top of it, like how the person while pregnant, what they experience right, and all that kind of stuff. So you're born, boom, there it starts immediately. There's the relationship. And what do you get right from the very beginning? Is the parent distant mm-hmm. right away? Mm-hmm. Um, are they just going through the motions? Right. So you do learn that who you can trust, who you can count on. Mm-hmm. who you can turn to. And there are different attachment styles that happen because of this. And so we've gone through everything in trauma bonding. So we've gone through the whole love bombing, the, the gaslighting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is happening day one, sort of, you know, mm-hmm. as the child gets older. So you, first you have the disorganized attachment, which is rooted in unpredictable and inconsistent behavior from caregivers during a child's formative years, formative years being from birth to what, seven or eight, I think, uh, you know, when it really, really, you're, you're very, starting to develop and you're very vulnerable yeah. and, um, and you're becoming, impressionable and you're becoming more and more aware of your environment. Right. And it's considered an insecure style of attachment. It develops when the kids are raised in an environment that elicits fear often involving abuse or lack of reliability. And the fear compounds and results in avoidance tendencies, sparking a pattern of dissociation from caregivers and ultimately a lack of meaningful bonds with others. To add to that, children of narcissists often find themselves in relationships where they are used to fulfilling a psychological function for others, whilst also feeling a sense of shame associated with their own needs and feelings because you're not supposed to feel those things. Exactly. They're allowed to have emotions. You're not. They're allowed to have needs. You're getting in the way of them getting their needs fulfilled. Right. You see, so there's a a few things that stand out in terms of, uh, sorry, I'm just picking up my tablet here. Unpredictable and consistent behavior. Check, check, check. You know, when my dad was at work, it, you know, in except for when you were there, but you were still very young. Things were all over the place. Insecure style um, of the attachment, the environment that elicits fear and involving abuse and lack of reliability. For my mom, uh, for her, it was more neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she didn't really, I mean, I took some good licks from her, definitely, but it was more when I was older. But um, for her, it was more neglect. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and her screaming, yelling, slamming doors, all that kind of shit. She'd get pissed off so easily. And I, and it talks about dissociation here. And I was a child that dissociated all the time. I used to love being um, behind the couch. Mm-hmm. I had two <laughs> my Casey and Coco were real to me. That was my imaginary friends. I sometimes wonder if they were real. One was an angel. One was the devil. Um, I loved being in closets. Um, I loved just, I would talk to myself, be by myself. I was a kid that was totally okay with being in a place that was quiet by myself. It was a world I put myself into to, to not be around her. Right. And I do remember that. And I had a hard time breaking that sometimes when people are around. Can you speak on that? Yeah. Um, it's, 
you were you you were being used as a scapegoat for your mom, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's you embody what the narcissistic parent cannot stand in themselves. Yeah, and by finding what they hate in themselves to be in the scapegoat child, the parent feels protected. This is the role of the scapegoat child. Oh yeah. So no wonder you would go off into your room yeah. and you would go into your old own world. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't do that? Yeah, and you know, I I I would just almost go immediately there once we were by ourselves. Right. And or what whatever situation it was in. So if she was on the phone, I loved it cuz she would be on there forever smoking cigarettes, drinking her beef eaters gin or whatever or tea mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And I was like, in my brain, I'm going to get a break. I got a reprieve. I don't care how long she, now, obviously this is not what I'm actually thinking as a child, but I can look back and go, I loved it mm-hmm. when she was on the phone forever. Then there were certain parts of the day that still affect me to this day around five o'clock ish when my dad would get home, when she was really hitting the, the drinks hard and, um, it was always around dinner and stuff like that. I knew that I needed to make myself even more scarce. Yeah. So to this day, I, I notice sometimes I get really anxious around that time. And I, I've worked it through with, uh, you know, treatment and stuff. And, you know, when I was drinking heavily, yeah. that's when I would start drinking as well was in the afternoon. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm like, I look back and I'm like, am I just making this shit up? Does, is it a coincidence? I don't think it is. No, you were participating in your devaluation. Yeah. By doing what you were doing. And, you know getting involved in the drinking and getting involved and, and knowing when the, okay, the, the, the clock is ticking. It's five o'clock. I got to make myself scarce. Yeah. You're in your own home. You should be safe, but there's your participation. Yeah. I I would love that my dad would be coming through the door any minute, but I knew depending on my mom's mood, what was going to happen over the next five or six hours. Mm -hmm. And I can just only imagine my dad trying to brace himself coming to the door, wanting to be happy to see his kids, hoping to like, it would be a nice evening. Oh, he adored you guys. Yeah. He adored you guys. He or he would coming home to the kids. Yeah. Or he was going to have to be in protective mode for us and for himself. Yeah. So I think that's why that time has brought anxiety for me. And the evenings have been t- were times where I would, you know, get into my most like, you know, drinking or, or whatever, because I could skip kind of from five to bed, which is which I, you know, as a kid, skipping from five to bed would be fantastic. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want the morning to come. The morning and the early afternoon were good. Yeah. Yeah. Case, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Having the mom that you did, did you feel that she was in a constant battle to keep her self-hatred at bay or did she not keep her self-hatred at bay? Wow, I think both. I yeah. think there's times where, see, my mom had a has a still to this day, uh, even though I don't have anything to do with her, I just know has an explosive uh, anger, rage, that'll go from zero to off the charts, and she had an extreme jealousy towards people that she wanted what they had and she couldn't get, so it was constant insults of other people Mm -hmm. and anger towards other people so i think at times it was self-directed like why can't i have that why can't i be that why am i not good enough Mm -hmm. just and then maybe just not even understanding the fact that she feels rage because Mm -hmm. she 
um, just how she feels in general. You know when you're feeling like Ugh, towards yourself and you don't know you're feeling it towards yourself. Yeah. And, and if, you're and you have to like break it down and go, this is what's going on. She had no ability to do that. Well, naturally, at least I hope, when we start getting that all over ourselves, that negativity and, and things like that, we recognize. I'd like to think we do. We recognize when we're getting it all over somebody else. Now. Now we do. Yeah. See, and it's weird for me to talk to you about like how I've been unwell and things I've had in terms of my body. I still am like anxious when I talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not you. Mm-hmm. It's all me. Yeah. And with Mary, because I think I sound like them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to laugh, but I have to laugh. Yeah, I see expressions on my face sometimes. Yeah. I hear my voice, and I yeah. sound like them. And and I cringe. I just cringe. And you know what it is, too? Like, And I, th- I know you're going to get this. When I look in the mirror and I see my eyes are like kind of dull. Yeah. And that your eyes don't have the, the, the shine. I've s- my mother would get the same look in her eyes. Right. She'd almost be. It was almost pleasant at that point because she was like melancholy. Right. She wasn't feeling much of either side. Yeah. But we look all the same. Yeah, we do. We all have that same look. Right. Your mother get it. Yeah. I'd even see it in Brian. Yes. I'd see it in Bruce. Yeah. Milton was just nuts all the time. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> no, we but all, our eyes are all the same. Yeah. But the what's going on in us now is so different what was going on in them or still does go on with them. So that's the thing that freaks me out too. I'll look in the mirror and I'll go, oof. Yeah. But I ha- I know and I have a choice to how I'm going to treat myself, how I'm going to treat people around me, and mm-hmm. how I'm going to feel afterwards. Right. Oh. Well, you sacrifice your own growth to remain less than the narcissistic parent. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Don't you? This is, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Okay, anxious attachment style. It's rooted in abandonment fears and care-related inconsistencies growing up. It's often developed when children are dependent on unreliable caregivers. They repeatedly learn that their caregivers may or may not come through when needed, and over time they begin to worry about whether or not their caregiver will be available or dependable, hindering their ability to form a secure attachment. Now, for me... I don't, this doesn't really hit home with me too hard Mm -hmm. because I did have you. I did have my, my dad. Yeah. I I did have on my dad's side of the family, some people that, you know, um, were, were there and I knew my mother was unreliable, so I didn't have any expectations. Right. I didn't count on her Mm -hmm. at this point. And I'm talking when I'm, when I'm older, because at some point I became like the, uh, I did everything in the place. Right. Um, and so for me, it was like, that's just the way it is. Yeah, but to have a young person accepting or be accepting of that is so sad. And I keep going back to we living in our own homes and then we go to Sally's house and we see a completely different vibe and how they interact with each other. What we learn to accept is unbelievable. Well, yeah, I, it's it's crazy. I'm good with the disorganized part before. Yeah this i can't can't speak on it what about you um I just, it was just i was thinking of this today um before we started and before you guys arrived 
never knowing the mood that you were going to walk into. Yeah. I hated that. I hated the, the, the rocks on, on the floor and not stepping on them uh, out of pain. Yeah. The eggshells on the floor. And, and, and I hated that. And it was an ongoing thing. And, and I remember how I didn't want to have a relationship like that with my own daughter because I didn't want to be that way. Yeah. And you're kind of like a clown. What clown am I going to come walking into today, you know? Yeah, it's true. You're, you're an actor. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're playing a role for whatever you're walking into. Yeah. Well, because you were primed really well, Karen. Yeah, there we go. Full primed. circle back to it. Yeah. Um, so coming to the avoidant attachment style, it's a type of thinking and behaviors in relationships that you have an insecure attachment that is characterized by an avoidance of feelings, emotions, closeness, and intimacy. And it forms an in infancy and early childhood and extends into adulthood. People with this have a tendency to question themselves even despite strong evidence that suggests that they aren't to blame. The existing mental health concerns such as depression, BPD, bipolar disorder, and borderline personality disorder, and anxiety tend to coexist or commingle. That would make sense. People who are sensitive to, they are also sensitive to rejection. And on an intellectual level, trauma bond survivors likely know what is happening to them is wrong and can identify how painful and devastating it is but they still struggle to accept the abuse. So this whole avoidant attachment style, I think is like me a little bit of the first one because you know, the disorganized, but this one here is that I have always felt that shit was always my fault, no matter what. That's true. And so that's why, you know, you come to this, it's like I would do things in my head that I think if I said this, thought this, or whatever, it would undo the bad thing that I did that I didn't even do to begin with. Right. You know what I mean? I understood exactly <laughs> what you just said. If something happened, somehow it was my fault. But I was yeah. also told a lot that it was my fault. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, so, and in, in terms of uh, having attachments with people, I've had a hard time with attachments with people my whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think about it. I mean, only, except for Van... And you, all the relationships I've been in have been superficial. Mm-hmm. There really was, I didn't, I look back and this is awful. I hope I'm forgiven if anybody hears this, but I don't think I loved anybody I was with until I'm married. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. I wasn't ready. My brain couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get any deeper than what I went. So I think about how <laughs> brutal that was is that I couldn't, and I didn't want to have close uh, relationships. I like the superficial part of it. Yeah, well, you're at hands, just arm's length. Mm -hmm. So it goes to show you the formative years that a young adult, a teenager, can give me more than my mother could. She caused so much damage, and you created so many open doors for me. Mm -hmm. That's incredible and insane at the same time. It's an arduous and complicated road to be raised by a narcissist. Mm -hmm. It really is. Wait till uh, next episode when we get into the the knit and the grit. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I just want to ask if these apply to you, hon. Um, Do you 
acknowledge the abuse that that has happened yes okay do you prepare yourself for strong emotions like grief loss because you're gonna like when you were going through your your rehab and I'm going through my treatments and stuff like that you go through a plethora if I may say the trenches you go through the trenches and you go through all of these emotions yep and how do you mentally prepare yourself for that what do you do I had amazing support okay and I was so determined on getting out of the hell okay my son drove me and you're not you're supposed to say you're doing it for yourself not for other people but i don't give a shit he's my boy he's everything yeah so he deserved to have the best mother possible yeah you know i think i did a great job to a certain point and certain point i was so sick that i couldn't do my job but it was something that i could see i could get out of right So that was my that was a big motivator for me, and I was oh, the support I got, Brenda. Every place I went, they Good. were incredible, and they prepared me, and they let me leave a room and yeah. not be happy. They let me cry and punch the or the floor or something, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I couldn't, and then they would take me aside and go, "What happened?" and let's talk about it. So they gave me all the tools I needed. And I went there three times. <laughs> I didn't go the first time. But yeah. it got better. And it got better. And I was determined. Yes, but you were that onion, that proverbial onion that was being peeled. Because you were being diagnosed with things that you didn't even know or were aware that Oh, I wasn't you... good with that part, though. Yeah. I was okay. <laughs> Initially, when they said the... the um, post-traumatic stress i'm like okay i can maybe go on board with that once you show me like you know uh ct scans and stuff and i can look at it yeah (laughs) but the other no i'm not them yeah i am not i am not a fuck i am yeah all right (laughs) it's your next step yeah so they helped me once i could sift through the the ptsd trauma stuff there was what was left Mm -hmm. and it wasn't all gold (laughs) right (laughs) and so um then I had the tools to say, okay, you can't lie to yourself anymore, Karen. There's a reason why you're acting this over and above this way. Mm-hmm. And that's years and years mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. this very day. I went, I did an exercise because I'm, I've mentioned this in, in past episodes. I'm on a, I think it's a 15 or 16 course, 16 week course on uh, PTSD and complex. I'm proud of you. Thank you, hon complex PTSD as well (laughs) and one of the exercises and unfortunately Case was sick because she wanted to help me with it and we had to look at the traumas that we've experienced that caused PTSD from zero to today oh so it was a one-on-one situation with the counselor and uh, we're going through it and it was almost for me it was humor shaking my head can't believe I did this can't believe I went through this and I'm climbing out of it and we only got to my 40s and I'm like wait a minute we got 20 some odd more (laughs) years to go and she shut me down she's like okay I think I have enough material (laughs) (laughs) we have 
enough material for this evening, for today, for the year. Come back when you're 70. If there's another course, they're going to be asking me to go on it. That's good, though. You should. Yeah. You should take yeah. it because it means they're aware and they're seeing and seeing what. That's what happened with me. When I was done, they said, okay, you can, we want you back in three months because you can't go back right away. You need to digest that. Right. And I'm like, what? There's more? Yeah. And I listened to them. Yeah. But so if that's offered to you and they think that you need it, you take it. Oh, I'm going for you it. You have to. I am. Again, it was, like. It was a hard exercise, but it was a really, really interesting and a, a real eye opener for me. And sometimes the eye openers aren't so bad. You know, some of them are terrifying and I don't want to go there, but some of them are like, like they're not so bad because it's like I can see how the I can like move forward knowing this now. Yes. And it reinforces some things for you as yeah. well. Yeah. And it did for me. And um, yeah, it was it, it, it was an interesting exercise. I'll leave it at that. Okay. And if you want to talk about it later, I'm more than happy, happy to. I'll show you my chart. Oh, oh God, charts. <laughs> we like charts. <laughs> I just want to wrap up here um, with uh, one of the main things that, that happens for trauma bonds to stick with well any any trauma bond but in in particular with with uh parents and a narcissistic parent it's trauma bonding and intermittent yeah. reinforcement so in a home where one or both parents are narcissistic the parent practices a pattern of that was a lot of alliteration right there, there you go. the parent practices a pattern of cruel withholding of love mixed with random acts of affections and reward Bingo. Know that one. Mm -hmm. This intermittent reinforcement leaves the children of narcissists perpetually seeking their abuser's approval. That, yes for me and no for me, because after a while I was just like, I don't care. That's, I would agree with you on that case. Intermittent reinforcement also leaves the children to settle for the small crumbs of love they occasionally receive. This reinforcement by narcissists hooks children's brains into bonding with them much like a gambler gets hooked by a game of chance. Okay, did you... All right. I, I read that earlier, and I, th I thought, did you really... You'd had enough by a certain age, and then yeah. a very young age. Like, like for like, me, it's I don't find that you relatable. Didn't, you didn't need the, the little Hansel and Gretel niblets being thrown down or anything like that for my mother i didn't care and yeah. for you guys you didn't do that to me yeah so yeah. but yeah no i mean I, I i think reading through this is gonna definitely hit home with some people yeah and um not for everyone but it makes me sick reading that you know um just thought of something a lot of this my brother went through sure and i guarantee you the uh Wow, that's a whole other story right there. I think he went through that part when I think about it with my mother. Anyway, we can talk about that another time. Um, so indeed, children become addicted to always seeking rewards from their narcissistic parents because intermittent rewards sets off a cascade of chemical reactions in their brains. That we can't control. So biochemically, the brains of a narcissist victims release copious amounts of oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, cortisol, and adrenaline that are released during trauma. So you just get bombarded right. with all these things at once. And dopamine is a powerful feel-good neurotransmitter that affects the pleasure center of our brains. 
So the on-again, off-again love and attention given to children by a narcissist flood their brain with dopamine, okay, positive or negatively. And this flooding causes what is akin to an addiction to the narcissistic parent. Right. So there you are summing it up. You're a scapegoat. You're getting primed. Mm -hmm. They're getting you ready for all the things that they dislike. And they want to get that all over you to make themselves feel better. And think about it. You are primed to be like their little toy. Yeah. Today, I'm going to give you a little bit of love. Yeah. And then you don't know. And that's the ultimate trauma bond right there. I'm going to give you a little bit of love today or what looks like it. And all the other times you're going to get whatever handful of garbage that you're going to get. But that little bit, you are craving it. And you don't know when you're going to get it. And you will go through and do whatever it takes to get that little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I understand that to it. I understand it, but I don't believe that was something that I really went through. This was um, a subject that <laughs> is near and dear to our hearts. I just want to touch on one thing, and I would like it yeah. if we do um, an episode on it. And I think you guys might like it too. Reactive attachment disorder. Okay. I think that a lot of serial killers and sociopaths had this. Okay. When you look back to a lot of these people's childhood mm-hmm. and what they went through, mm-hmm. this reactive attachment disorder basically is where the child cannot connect with anybody, has no feelings, no um, conscience. There's nothing that you can punish, quote and unquote, that they even give a shit about. They don't care. They don't feel and it's because of the horrific trauma they went through as children. And this is coming up more and more, Case. I've seen the term come up. You hit the nail right on the head the way you described it. In that these people had and have no feelings, like you said, Case. Yep. They, and the, these are the ones, they're so unattached and so detached. And so desensitized. Well, the thing is, is that they they go through such trauma early on mm-hmm. that undoing that is near impossible. Right. Because one of the things is that they have no love and affection from parents at home. So it could be one parent, both parents. Then they usually end up in foster care. Mm-hmm. Those parents don't give a shit. I mean, if, the, if it's the perfect... The perfect storm to make have a child get this, and they suffer great abuse at their, you know, their childhood home, the mm-hmm. parents' home. Mm-hmm. Then they go into foster care or an institution, right, and are like moved around. Right, they cannot connect with anybody. They've never connected with anybody, ever. Right. So they don't. They don't. That doesn't exist. Right. That whole part of their brain that was supposed to develop in that point never did. Never did. Yeah. It's a void. Yeah. So how do you do that? Mm-hmm. You, what you need to do is have like a foster parent who really truly can love this child and get the best treatment possible. Mm-hmm. But half the time these kids are, and they're being pushed through school Yeah. and there you go. And now you have this, this child that had rad and God knows what they're going to do when they're out in their own. There's a numbness there, but there's it's a just, stimulation that's yeah. also needed, right? Yeah. Cause it didn't get stimulated with 
all the other things in life from your parents from your foster parents yeah. from your whatever so this is their okay so anyway and a lot of if you believe in uh, uh did also known as uh, multiple personality disorder this really falls into that trap we yeah. need to fix the world yeah well <laughs> One podcast at a time. One day at a time. One podcast at a time. Yeah, one podcast. This was this was fun. I know I say that after every show, but I get so much out of it, and same. It's so rewarding, and I get I get to learn a little bit about my niece a little bit more, and I'm sure she gets to know a little bit more about me and Back how you, yeah, and and how I've handled things and how she's handled things. So. So you know what this this is a uh, this has been wow like a wow for me this episode um, <laughs> and I don't you guys just might feel like this is too much so I'm just gonna stop right here okay thanks for listening today <laughs> yeah and um, let's take the path of healing together one four three one four three and remember to take care of yourself take care of one another most importantly love yourself peace one love. <laughs>